You're listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen. Don't grab a seat. Y'all doing all right? Man, I'm excited to study the Bible with you. Go ahead and turn to 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6 as we're continuing our series called The Book and going through uh, the books of the Bible. We're doing First and Second Kings kind of together like we did with Samuel. Again, Second Kings chapter 6. As you're turning there, um, tell you real quick, this morning we, were have, we always meet some of the pastors uh, about 740 on Sundays before the first 8 o'clock service. And uh, Jerry Newman, the worship pastor in uh, the worship center over there, was telling us about this, I guess yesterday, he went hunting with his, uh, him and his son-in-law and uh, Jordan, and they came up to this barn out in the, I guess out in the ranch or wherever, anyways, came up to this uh, barn, and inside the barn, as they were just kind of cutting through, walking through, there was a box that said, danger, venomous snakes on it. And they're like, well, why would you keep snakes in? That's weird. Surely there's no snakes in there. So they walk by and kind of kick the box and nothing happens. Like, ah, ha, ha, that's funny. Somebody's playing a joke. Well, they lift the lid up of this bo- off of this box and there were three rattlesnakes inside this box. So they immediately like, throw the lid back on there and it, it immediately turns into, why would you do that? Like, why would you keep venomous snakes in a box in a barn? And they begin to spaz out, uh, which made me think it was a good intro for today. I have a question for you. This is not rhetorical. Um, when you think about growing up, what are some things that you are currently or were afraid of? Like, I'm just gonna get put out there. For me, snakes is for sure one of those things. Like, I don't like snakes. The only kind of good snake is a dead snake. Amen, that'll preach, all right? So uh, anybody wanna help me out? Something, it, it, like, probably maybe funny, something that you were fearful of as a kid. Let's keep it G, okay? It'd be appropriate. But, uh, what's something you were afraid of as a kid? Anybody? Spiders. Yeah, totally hear that. Yeah, for sure. Richard would tell you that I was afraid of bats. Y'all remember that story told about me killing bats? <laughs> Gotta hear Richard. Somebody, baby bats. Yeah, I don't like baby bats. <laughs> Somebody else? Bees. For sure. The dark. Who is that, Shanda? Yes, the dark, for sure. Um, yeah, still, my kids are, like, this is random, but my kids have this weird thing they like to go in a room at night and turn off all the lights. I'm like, y'all are kind of creepy. <laughs> like, it's kind of, like, it's dark. I'm like, yeah, it's weird. Don't do that. Yeah, for sure, the dark. Anybody else? This side? Heights, okay, yeah. I, I can't quite relate, but yes. <laughs> Anybody else? Lightning. Yes, Natalie, is that you? Yeah, lightning can be scary. Martin, ask Martin Luther, right? Anybody know that story? Okay. Um, you ever been in a situation, something like maybe you just mentioned, where you're fearful, we'll just pick on Jerry and his son-in-law, Jordan, for a second, because we can all, it's a story we just all just heard. In that moment, it would almost be ridiculous as they're looking at this box of three snakes for someone to walk up and be like, hey, just calm down, it's no big deal. You can't help in that situation as you look at your surroundings and be like, what do you mean calm down, right? I am calm, what do you mean don't be scared? What do you mean don't be anxious? Do you see what's right in front of us? I think in in 2020, not I think, I know, for for most of us, we kind of have that spirit about us right now of if someone's like, dude, why are you anxious? Why are you worried? We're a little bit like, what, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean, why am I anxious? What do you mean, why am I fearful? Um, even as Christians, I think we would, 
we're kind of in that boat of, man, when you look at all that's going on, on top of life as it already is, it can kind of feel like, what do you mean I shouldn't be scared? What do you mean I shouldn't be a little anxious? Y'all tracking with that? I asked a few, um, I'm not gonna share their names because I told them I wouldn't, but I asked a couple of college students and a couple of adults um, of some things that they feel like people are, are fearful of um, right now. And I told them right out of the gate, I said, because it's the easy answer that everybody would, would like say, you can't mention uh, a COVID because everybody is kind of in that boat of like, what's gonna happen with COVID? And then even this was on uh, Friday and I was like, you can't say the election either because we're all kind of in that same boat. So um, I was trying to take away the easy answers from them. But some of the things that they shared uh, were fear uh, or anxious about their future. Um, anxious about, will I lose friends? And this particular lady was talking about with the election and uh, it's been so like divisive. Uh, I'm telling you things you already know, right? But it's been so divisive and polarizing. She was like, man, am I gonna lose friends who I love and who we really agree with but over like small issues, seemingly small issues, are we gonna lose friends? Um, she was asking like, or fearful of how do we know what's true anymore? Like when you're getting on social media or on the news, all of us kind of have this sense of, what well, is that true? Should I check it with other places? And you should check it with other places. That's a good thing to do. But fearful of not knowing what's true. Fearful of not being able to make sense of what we're seeing in the world. Anybody relate to that? One college student said, uh, fear of the future in the sense of graduation. Like, all right, I've gone to high school, I've gone to college, I'm gonna graduate, and what do I do now? <laughs> uh, what's, what's the next step? Fear of being alone forever. Even uh, some adults said that as well. One parent said, fear of not knowing if I'll be able to protect my kids, whether it be from heartbreak, whether it be from sickness, or just from bad life decisions. Another college student, make sure, see where it's at. Yeah, uh, just in general, not knowing the future or fear of not being able to achieve their goals. And I think especially with like the world feeling so kind of topsy-turvy right now, um, that, that's a, a fair fear in the sense of you're setting these goals, but you're not sure the steps will be there to take anyways because of the way things, thing, things seem unsteady. I'm not trying to unnerve you. <laughs> I'm just trying to get, to get you to maybe resonate with like, when people say they're scared right now, that it's understandable, right? What I love about this story in 2 Kings 6 is it's, it's kind of goofy. It's super odd. You could even say it's kind of funny. But in it, we get this little glimpse of, of who God is that helps answer the question, like, why I don't have to live in fear. I think it was... Uh, Jenny Allen interviewed, I can't think of the guy's name, a guy who was a former Navy SEAL and professional football player. And it wasn't me, just in case you're curious. But <laughs> um, anyways, interviewed this guy and he was saying, like, it's, I think he's right, it's okay to, to be afraid at times. You just don't wanna live in fear, right? You're gonna, things are gonna come up that are gonna cause you to be afraid for a second, but I wanna fix my eyes back on God and not live in that fear. And that's kind of the hope this morning is, hey, let's not live in fear, Let's realize, man, there's some things that cause us to be afraid. Let's set our eyes back on Christ. And that's what's gonna happen in 2 Kings 6 as we look at who God is. Now, a little bit of context for where we're at in 2 Kings 6. So if you remember in Joshua, God's people came into the promised land, right? 
being the conqueror, take over, you got Jericho, all that good stuff. Then if you look at the book of Judges, while it's a very, de- it's a very depraved book, you see they come to the promised land and it goes very poorly, very quickly because they don't obey God. They don't follow God. And so immediately other people begin to fight with them. They have famines, those sorts of things. It goes poorly uh, because they're all doing what seems right in their own eyes. I know that doesn't sound at, like us at all, okay? Um, they're all doing what feels right to them. So then the cool thing, if you remember, we looked at Judges and Ruth together, even while all the sinfulness of Judges was going on, in the book of Ruth, we saw that God was still working redemption. He was still bringing about a savior uh, through the people of Israel. Then you get to First and Second Samuel, and that's where the monarchy begins. So you've got King Saul and then King David, and there's some good stories there, like some hope-filled stories, and then some stories where, man, like these kings are, can't be the ultimate king because they're letting us down. And then when you get to First and Second Kings, at first you have uh, Solomon, who was David's son, is the king. And after Solomon, things spiral out of control really quickly. So they essentially have a civil war. You go from uh, Israel to Israel and Judah, um, and you, there's this vacillation, this back and forth of some kings, you, talking about for both Israel and Judah here, some kings were obedient to God and followed him, and some led the people far from God. It's this vicious cycle of back and forth, back and forth of some followed God, some did not. Some obeyed, some did not. Well, even in the midst of that, God still sent prophets to declare to God's people truth to remind them of who God was and to remind them of who they were in God as, as God's people. And so two of those examples would be Elijah and Elisha, who was his, uh, Elijah's successor. And when the people, when they, especially the kings, when they followed and listened to the prophets, these men sent by God, things typically went better. When they ignored the prophets and in so doing ignored God, things did not go well for the people. Where we jump in in 2 Kings chapter 6, it's a story where Elisha, the man of God, a prophet, is right at the center of the story. This is a fun one. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8. Once when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants, saying, at such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel. The man of God here, by the way, is Elisha. So the man of God sent word to the king of Israel. Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus he used to warn him so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. So not a rhetorical question. What's going on here? <laughs> So what? He's warning, yeah. So the king of Syria, just for our purposes today, Syria, bad guys, Israel. All right, we're waking up. Okay, yeah. So Syria, the king of Syria wants to go and attack the Israelite army. But Elisha, because again, we're not gonna get into how all this works, but he's a man of God and God's communicating with him very clearly. Elisha knows what the king of Syria is gonna do before the king of Syria does it because who ultimately knows everything? 
God. Yeah, okay, good. Okay, so not Elisha, God. So God is telling Elisha, giving a heads up, hey, the king of Syria, he's what he's about to do. So Elisha is going and telling the king of Israel, hey, you need to go to this place or go do this because the king of Syria, he's coming for you. So every time the king of Syria tries to make a move on Israel, Elisha beats him to the punch. Or really, God beats him to the punch, right? And Israel gets away, it goes to a safe place. So, verse 11. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. Yeah, can you imagine? We just had a few veterans in, like stand up in here. That would be frustrating, right? You're in warfare, you're trying to go after the enemy and every, we're thinking of the Syrians right now from their perspective. Every time you chase the enemy, they always know you're coming, right? That would be frustrating. It'd be like in a football game, if, you know, if the defense always sniffs out the offense's play, offense, is that a word? If they always, if they always sneak out or snuff out, I'll get it right in a second. <laughs> if they always know what the offense is gonna do before the offense does it, man, there's like investigations going on, right? Of, man, they've been watching our, or not watching, they've been like, do they have cameras on the sideline? What's going on here, right? Patriots, okay. Um, <laughs> it's very frustrating. So halfway through verse 11, he called his servants and said to them, will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? So he, what does he think is going on here? He thinks there's a spy, right? So he calls his people together. You be my people for a second, my people. And he's like, which one of you is working for the king of Israel? Because somehow that dude knows everything I'm gonna do before we do it. Listen what one of his servants says, verse 12. One of his servants said, none, my Lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. <laughs> so he's saying, uh, <clears throat> Mr. King, I'm sorry, but Elisha knows everything you say, everything you're gonna do. He already knows it. And again, because he's got the hookup with God, right? So it doesn't matter what we say in here. It doesn't matter what you say in your bedroom. If you think it's private, Elisha has the end. Verse 13, he said, Go and see where he is that I may send and seize him. So he realizes his problem is not just Israel. The king of Syria realizes his real problem is who? One person, Elisha, right? So he says, we're gonna go get Elisha. Tell me where he is. Now, what's the funny thing about that? Why is that funny? Elisha knows, right? Like, you know what? This one guy keeps, up, keeps outsmarting us. He knows every move, so we're gonna make a move. Like, he, he already knows, bro. It was told him, behold, he is in Dothan, verse 14. So he sent their horses and chariots and a great army and they came by night and surrounded the city. Ha ha! So this time, Syrian king, he's got Elisha. Somehow Elisha didn't get word of this and we've got him surrounded. He sends chariots, sends horses. I guess you gotta have the horses have the chariots. And they surround the city of Dothan where Elisha is. They came by night. So this is a sneak attack, right? They're, they're sneaking up on Elisha. Verse 15. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. So can you, can you imagine that? Like you, ah, you get up for breakfast, you have some toast or whatever you eat for breakfast, Right? Does anyone eat toast? I don't know, maybe so. You get your cup of coffee or their tea, whatever they drank. <laughs> they weren't British, I don't know what they drank. Anyways, 
you go outside to see the sun rising and you suddenly realize that around the city is an army and it's the enemy army and they're looking for the dude that you're rolling with. They're looking for you and Elisha. That's not a good way to wake up. I think that would wake you up, right? Like, I always question, I always question the people that have for an alarm clock or for a cell phone, uh, for a ringtone, they're like nuclear, I'm talking about like, Always question those people, okay? I don't trust them, right? Something's going on. Anyways, that would get your attention. That's an alarm clock to wake up and see an army surrounding you. So what does he say? Verse, uh, halfway towards the end of verse 15, he says, alas, my master. So this is, um, doesn't translate well to the English. He's, he's spazzing out, right? Like we don't, we don't say alas. He's going, whoa, wake up, my master. What shall we do? That's a fair question. Hey, master, we're surrounded by an army. What are we gonna do? Why should we not be afraid? This does not look good, but look at what Elisha says. The man of God said, do not be afraid for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. I can't help but think at that point, the servant was like, man, I knew Elisha was kind of going crazy. (laughs) Or Elisha, like, do you need to drink some coffee? Do you need to put your glasses on? Because clearly there is an army around us and I don't see anybody else. I see you and I see me. Elisha, don't, don't be afraid. Verse 17, then Elisha prayed and said, oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So what did Elisha see that then he prayed for the, man, the, the servant to see also? He got to see the army of the Lord. So while there's an army around Elisha and a servant, the army of the Lord was around that army. How cool would that moment have been? Do we believe in spiritual a spiritual reality? Absolutely. In that moment, Elisha's servant gets to see, hey, there's a bigger picture here. It's not just this army. And the story gets fun. Okay, verse 18. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, This is not the way, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. So, like, we don't know enough about the Bible, like, so this misses us at first, but this is funny. Think about what's happening. They've come to capture Elisha. They all come in the room. Just think about it this room. What if you all come to seize me? You're looking for me. I pray God makes you, whether it was literal blindness or like a uh, blindness to reality and they were confused, it doesn't really matter. Different scholars say different things on what exactly happened, but whether it was literal blindness or blindness to the reality of what was going on, they don't realize Elisha is right in front of them. And he's like, oh, y'all are in the wrong city and I'm not the right guy. Here, come with me. I'll show you where we need to go. And he took them to Samaria 11 miles. Could you imagine like Elisha's walking and this army's behind them and they're like, what are, you, what are the Syrians doing? He's like, don't, don't, shh, just be quiet, right? And they're following him to Samaria. Now, what's the big deal about Samaria? Samaria was the capital of Israel. So they, the army came for one dude, and I, really one dude, and he has a servant with him. And he, while they came to capture him, he actually captured them. <laughs> that is incredible. 
11 miles, they walked to Samaria. Verse 20, it says, as soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. Can you imagine the fear that must have struck them in that moment? They think, man, we've got this guy surrounded. Next thing you know, they're in the capital city of their enemy and they're surrounded. <laughs> the, the hunter has just become the hunted, right? That's what's going on. Verse 21, as soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, my father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? He answered, you shall not strike them down. Would you strike them down? Excuse me, would you strike down those whom you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Quick note there. So the thought is that the, the king of Israel at that time wasn't typically killing his prisoners of war anyway. So Elisha's saying, what are you gonna do? Like you wouldn't normally kill men that you've captured in war. So why are you gonna kill these men? And by the way, these aren't really prisoners of the king of Israel. These are really prisoners of Elisha, which in reality are prisoners of Yahweh. And here's what he says, God. Verse 22 again, he answered them. You shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those whom you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away and they went to their master. And the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. That is kind of a crazy story. <laughs> you should read the Old Testament more, right? There's cool stories in here, true stories. What in the world do we do with that? <laughs> I think there's two simple ideas here that, that we can't miss. I'm gonna ask it this way first and then we'll lean into those two things. What happened when the king of Syria sent his army to capture Elisha. Yes, we saw the Lord's army surrounding their army, but ultimately, who got captured? The Syrians got captured, right? All right, with that in mind, I think here's the first thing we gotta see from this. Speaking to us today. Teaches us about God, and, here's, and also, here's how it drives out fear. First thing, you serve a God who can flip the script. You serve a God who can flip the script. That's exactly what happened here. God, because he is omnipotent, all powerful, he's omniscient, he knows everything. He, with, without any effort, effortlessly flipped the script. So his people were going to be attacked. God's people were gonna be under raid. And God said, let me just flip that real quick. <laughs> we're gonna capture them. God can flip the script in any situation because he is all powerful and he knows everything. It reminds me of what Joseph says to his brothers at the end of Genesis. He says, what you intended for evil, God used for, for good, right? Man, the enemy can do what he wants, but God, because he's overall, because he's truly the sovereign king over everything, no matter what the enemy throws at him, he can flip that script and use it for good because he's all powerful and he's all knowing. 
I think as we're reading, I know it's not like a ha ha, that's hilarious, funny story, but it's kind of a funny story. But know this, it's not funny because God doesn't care about hardship. It's not funny because God takes pain and suffering in a lighthearted manner. It's funny because the gap between God's power and our power is laughable. It's a funny story because the gap between God's sovereignty and our ability to control things, the gap of how different that is, is laughable. God has the power to flip the script. So many people, me included, are worried about the, the country, our, excuse me, the direction our country is going for so many different reasons. By the way, I wrote this sermon, it was 80% done on Tuesday afternoon. So if you're reading between the lines, like, is he just trying to say like, just in general, point blank, regardless of what happened in the election, a lot of us are concerned about the direction the country's going. I'm not the only one, right? Okay. God can flip that script, amen? Some of you are worried about the direction your family is going or your life is going. God can flip that script because he's all powerful and he's all knowing. Because of that, or that is true because of the second thing. So the first thing, you serve a God who can flip the script. The second thing in this story, you serve a God who always surrounds what is surrounding you. You serve a God who always surrounds what is surrounding you. It's exactly what happened in the story, right? Elisha wakes up, he's surrounded, but he knows because he sees with spiritual eyes that God is actually surrounding everything in that situation. See, fear is often a failure to see with spiritual eyes. Fear is often a failure to see with spiritual eyes because we only see what's right in front of us, but God is calling us to see what is reality. We just see the room, we see the circumstances. God says, no, there's more to that. There's a spiritual reality. Set your eyes on me. There's more to the story. It's, it's never just what it looks like through your human eyes. You could say it this way. God is always accomplishing more than the eye can see. No matter what your situation, no matter what your hardship, even if God chooses not to flip the script, God's accomplishing what he wants to. <laughs> He's accomplishing the goal of making you look like Christ if you're a Christian and bringing him glory. God often chooses to flip the script, but when he doesn't, he's still working things for good. I love what Charles Spurgeon said about this servant's question when he said, what shall we do or how shall we do? Meaning, how are we gonna get out of the situation? Spurgeon said, that is a question we have often asked, how shall we do? We shall do nothing at all. <laughs> How shall we do? If that were the question, we might sit down in despair. The proper question is, how will God do? How will God deliver us? But it is only the man of faith who thinks about God at all. How many there are of you who are in trouble and you are wondering how you shall get out of it? Poor things, poor things. <laughs> oh, if we had but faith to look to that omnipotent arm, all-powerful arm that is moving among us and to that great and wise heart that is thinking of us and then trust our case with him. So he says, the question is not, what am I going to do? The question is, what is God going to do? 
I know God is here. He's present in this moment. He surrounds whatever situation is surrounding me. So what is God going to do? That's the ultimate question. That's the real question for not what's right in front of me, but for what is reality. And you know, I love, I love that God, as many times as he tells us not to fear in scripture, he never just says, ah, just because, just because. As parent, I'm already finding it's tempting to just say, just because, stop asking why, right? Like parents, y'all been there before? God, he never says, don't be afraid just because. Don't be afraid, and he tells him, don't be afraid here because I got this. I'm bigger than the army that you're facing. I'm bigger than the situation that you're facing. Paul says that we're to walk by faith, not by sight, but the reality is most of us live our lives like Elisha's servant, don't we? Most of us walk out and we immediately choose fear over faith. <gasps> What's gonna happen? We immediately choose to look at ourselves rather than to look at God. So the challenge this morning is to see with spiritual eyes. Again, Fear is often a failure to see with spiritual eyes. So the challenge is to see, to look at life with spiritual eyes. And you're sitting there going, man, I'm so excited because when I walked in today, I saw they, that you guys provided in the, bo- in the back of the venue, there's those boxes with spiritual glasses. I can't wait to grab those. They're $6.99, just grab them on your way out and it'll change the way you see your world, right? No, we don't have that. That would be really awesome. Actually, that'd be a cult if we did, so that's not really awesome. But um, we, we, don't, we don't have something like that. So the question I wanna spend our last few minutes together answering and looking at, how do you see with spiritual eyes? I think it's really important. So, We know God is a God who can flip the script. Sometimes he doesn't choose to, but he always can. And he surrounds what's surrounding us. How do we we see that when we're typically overwhelmed by our situation? So I don't know, give you two things from the story. I wanna, in our last about eight, 10 minutes together, give you three ways to see with spiritual eyes. And they're really simple. The first one, you need Jesus to open your eyes. You need Jesus to open your eyes. So what I'm talking about, I'm talking about people who, who don't have a relationship with Christ. Here's what's really cool. As we're going through this study, all through the Old Testament, we see these glimpses of what Jesus is like. So a lot of people in scripture compare um, Elijah to, or excuse me, John the Baptist to Elijah. And then remember, Elisha followed Elijah. In a similar way, there's similarities. You can see these nuances between Jesus and Elisha. So Elisha was able to open the eyes of his servant in a similar way. Jesus can open your eyes to see your spiritual depravity. That on your own, it is hopeless. On your own, you should be in despair. That on your own, your life is in shambles. But in spite of that, he is a savior. That on your own, your life is a pile of rubble. (laughs) But Jesus has the power to redeem you. Because Jesus, despite your sinful, broken nature, lived a perfect life, died the death that you deserve, and then rose again to offer you salvation. So the first way to see with spiritual eyes is for him to open your eyes to see your need for him and to trust him as your Lord and Savior. Say, Jesus, I want you to be the king of my life, the Lord of my life. You need Jesus to open your eyes. 
Here's the second way you see spiritual eyes. So if you're already a Christian, these next two for sure are for you, okay? Number one was, need you to open your eyes. Here's number two. Look to Jesus. Really good Sunday school answer, right? <laughs> but there's more to it, I promise. Look to Jesus. Man, this is really exciting. The cross is the best picture, the best example, the best demonstration of those two truths we just talked about from the story. So the truth that God can flip the script and that God is always surrounding what's surrounding you. Meaning, so there's always more to the story. God is always accomplishing more than the eye can see. The cross is the perfect picture of that. What do you mean? When Jesus died... (laughs) Satan thought he had pulled the lever on the victory, right? Like, so Jesus finally breathes his last breath. Satan feels like, you know what? Man, we got Jesus. We got the hope of the world. Now he's in a grave. But see, God had outsmarted Satan from the beginning. And when Satan pulled that lever, he was actually pulling the lever on his own destruction because it was through the death of Jesus Christ that the people of God have victory, Amen. It was through the death of Jesus Christ that we could have hope and salvation, salvation and that he would eventually rise again from the grave. Talk about flipping the switch, excuse me, flipping the script, right? The hope of the world, dead, buried in a grave. Jesus is like, nah, I haven't that. Flips the script, which had really been God's plan all along. But to us, it seemed like, whoa, where'd that come from? But to God's, God, he's like, it's my plan all along. When you're doubtful, man, can God flip this script? Can he turn this story around? Uh, He can bring a dead man out of the grave. He can turn a story around. (laughs) The cross is the greatest picture of that. What about this idea that God is surrounding, always surrounding what's surrounding me, that there's more to the story, there's a bigger picture. Think about when they looked at Jesus on the cross. They thought that in Jesus dying, their hope was dying, their future was dying, their trust in God was dying, any salvation was dying. But in reality, God was giving them for the first time real hope, a real future, real salvation, amen? He was doing more than they could see. There was a bigger picture. The cross is the greatest example that God, greatest reminder that God can flip any script and that God is always surrounding what is surrounding you. There's more to the story. And because of that, you don't have to turn there. I want you to write it down though. Romans, listen to the words of Romans 8, 31 through 39. You can, you can write it down. I'll read it to you for the sake of time. Romans 8, 31 through 39. So he says, what then, this is Paul writing, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus our Lord. No matter what's surrounding you, God says, there ain't nothing come between me and my love for you. <laughs> the cross is your reminder that he surrounds what's surrounding you, particularly his love. So you need Jesus to open your eyes and you need to look to Jesus. And here's the third thing, we'll end with this. To have spiritual eyes that enable you to not live in fear all the time. And it sounds really, really impressive when I say it. You need to spend time with Jesus. Spend time with Jesus. Speaking of of flipping the script, so many of us, the script, the narrative in our mind is fear, worry, anxiety, hopelessness. What if, what if, what if? Richard and I used to play the what if game game in high high school and I feel like we, we do that now like everybody, right? What if, what if this happens? What if this happens? What if this happens? If you are in Christ, Philippians 2 says you have the mind of Christ. He's teaching you to think like Christ. You can flip that script. You have the choice, really, you should, I should say. You have the choice to see with spiritual eyes. How do you begin to see through a spiritual lens on the daily? <laughs> you spend time with Jesus. If you don't spend time with Jesus, you're not gonna see with spiritual eyes. Again, I don't want you to turn there. You can turn there, but I want you to at least write it down. Ephesians chapter one, 15 through 24. Listen to this. I think this is what happens when you spend time with Jesus. I'm gonna jump in. This is Paul, he's praying for the Ephesians. Verse 17, he says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. So praying that you would have the eyes of your heart enlightened. So I think a fair way to say this is that you could see with spiritual eyes these things, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? Man, that a preach right there. That when you have spiritual eyes, you begin to see, hey, I have hope because of Christ. More than that, that he sees me as an inheritance. I'm, I'm treasured in Christ's eyes. That he has power he wants to use on my behalf. And it's immeasurable greatness. So it's not like, yeah, that's about how much power God has. We can't measure how much power he has and he wants to use on behalf of his children. He says he used that power, verse 20, it's that, he, that same power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So I lean in real quick. So when you have spiritual eyes, here's how you see Jesus. Here's how you see your world. That Jesus, verse 21, is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet. So God put all things under the feet of Jesus and gave him 
as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Do we need as God's people to begin to see with spiritual eyes? Amen. Changes everything. When you see with spiritual eyes, you have hope, you're treasured. God wants to work in your life. He wants to flip the script. He wants to show you that he surrounds what's surrounding you. I'll finish with this. Gloria Furman, she's a wife, a mom, an author, a missionary. She says, when you open your Bible, you can see the flashes of light refracting from the sword of the one who guards your soul from death. <laughs> the sword of God's word can cut through even the most formidable morning fog of doubt or spiritual apathy. Since faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, then we would do well to fill our ears with God's word every day. If you want to rejoice in the Lord always and not be anxious about anything, then you need to see what the Lord, excuse me, then you need to see that the Lord is at hand. There is no better place to be reminded of how the Lord is at hand than through his word, the Bible. What's the best way to remember that God can flip any script? What's the best way to walk out in the morning? No matter how crazy your day, you know it's gonna be. What's the best way to see that this is my crazy day, but God is bigger than my crazy day? The best way to do that is right here. <laughs> Stay in the word. The worship team's gonna start heading this way so we can sing a quick song of response. A couple of questions. One, is Jesus opening your eyes this morning? Is he opening your eyes to the salvation that you can have in him? Maybe you're online. If, if that's you, we'd love for you to click that. Um, actually, I don't think there's a connect button, but we'd love for you to shoot us a message um, or reach out, touch base with us online, southcrosslive.tv or Facebook. We'd love to talk with you about how Jesus opens your eyes and draws you to himself for salvation. Yeah, you, you can respond in faith. And if you're here this morning and sense that God is calling you to himself, after the service, to be some pastors down front that would love to talk with you about what it means to place your, tra- excuse me, place your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. For believers, I wanna ask you, what is God opening your eyes to this morning? Meaning, maybe you've been seeing right in front of you and God's wanting to show you a greater reality of how he surrounds what surrounds you. Maybe some of you, you, you need to talk with God and say, Lord, could you flip this script in my life? Could you change this narrative? And if you're not going to, would you teach me to trust that you're still working for good even when I can't see it? Would you teach me that you're better than whatever maybe I thought was gonna be the best situation? Could teach me to delight in you. And lastly, I just wanna encourage you. Who knows what God may be accomplishing in your life, in the life of your family, in our city, in our country, around the world, even when things don't turn out as you hope. God's still working. Just flip the script in our head. Start looking with spiritual eyes. I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna respond. God, I pray that this morning you would draw people to yourself for salvation. God, that you would give believers just a fresh reminder of who you are, of your sovereignty. 
that no story is too far gone for you. God, that we would find hope in you as our rock, as our redeemer, as omnipotent, as omniscient. Well, maybe open our eyes this morning to things that you're doing. Help us to begin to see with spiritual eyes. And Lord, I pray that at the very least, we would walk away ready to dig into your word, ready to to daily put on those spiritual glasses, that spiritual eyesight by just spending time with you and that you would, as Romans 12 says, you would begin to transform our, our mind by renewing it, by making it more like yours. God, I pray that as we sing this song, you would stir our hearts for you and give us spiritual eyes. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. 